I'm Aitan, it's Friday, and this is the Friday Show. Spurs come to the Etihad on Sunday, and joining me to preview that, and also just to look back at the week that was, I've got George. Morning, George. Good morning, Aitan. How are we doing? Yeah, pretty good. A little little under the weather, I've got to be honest with you. I caught a little uh, caught a little bug on my uh, on my week of uh, on my week of traveling and I'm uh, a little bit struggling to shake it right now but no other than that it's friday and 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 you got to love a friday exactly no better day really is than a friday no definitely it's a quiet pod today just me and you a little a little two man friday show I, I i like that i think uh, the big pods are nice when there's loads of people on them but this feels a little more intimate should we put it that yeah, it way it definitely does yeah well, look, I want to start by looking back at actually what's been quite an interesting and I think eventful week that has probably left us with more questions than than we expected from a city point of view. What I'm going to do is I'm not going to, we're not going to look at Liverpool and Leipzig individually. Actually, what we're going to do is we're going to look at, at the two games together. Um, I want to, I want to start with something which has slowly been creeping into into my consciousness based on the uh, on the performances so look what i want to do really is um rather than looking at liverpool and leipzig individually i want to i want to look at the two games together and just what questions they've they've thrown up and and what answers or solutions we might be uh, we might be looking for I want to start with something that I think has has crept into my consciousness and as maybe maybe it's been in the team all season but I haven't really noticed it and that is just inconsistency. I think it's a word that this week for the first time has really come to the fore for me. Um and I'm interested because I think that last season I think that the hallmark of I would say January, February onwards for this team was just the consistency, both individually and collectively, in both the performances and the selections from Pep. And I think that's ended up being quite a contrast to this season because I don't think we've been particularly consistent this season. Um, I want to start with. Uh, we'll start kind of broad, and we'll try and we'll try and narrow it down. So, just to begin with, would you say that it's a it's an individual thing or would you say that it's a collective thing or do you agree that there's inconsistency I should start there yeah I definitely agree there's inconsistency I think it has been a, a strange start to the season for the squad um, I don't think it feels like we've had an international break every two weeks as well which I think definitely doesn't help things in regard to picking up injury and also getting that cohesiveness as a unit and this is this is a very different unit to you know the start of last season. Um, no KDB through injury, no Gundo um, through him leaving. Similarly with Mares as well. Um, so we're without kind of three key components that were playing a lot of games at the start of last season. Um, on top of that, I think yeah, mate. I don't know. Maybe some people have suggested it. You know, after you win the treble. Is is there that I don't know a bit of complacency almost that you just think you're gonna p- possibly continue on that on that level for for the for the rest of the following seasons? I know Pep will try to stamp that out as much as he can, but I think it's you know it's only a it's a natural thing for that to maybe creep into uh, the player's subconsciousness. So mm. 
I think there's there is a collective there is a collective inconsistency in in the sense of it, like you say this this the side hasn't been settled yet we we've not been able to say like we did say at the back end of last season if it's if it's a game Premier League match we know who's playing and a Champions League match we know who's playing and um, we can't really do that at the moment he Pep's still tweaking you know Gvardiol looked like he was the 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 one on the left side of the ba- of the back line for a few games and then he had maybe a few inconsistent matches and now it's Ake is is coming to the side for you know for the Liverpool game when when you're looking at what was probably going to be our one of our stronger lineups of the season so there is little individual things like that I think where Pep's just not got the level he wants out of certain people but I think it's just as a whole we we, we don't feel entirely cohesive and and like stamped a, a stamp down on paper team so far mm. and that do I think you, that's what is causing a few issues do you think you can do you think it's do you think it extends right the way across the pitch or do you think it's just a a back four back five thing or a back four back five in the midfield thing no I think it extends across the whole pitch really and mm. um, I think I think in that Liverpool match, if 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 you look at the team, even though I, we were the better team and I thought we played really well in moments, it's once things suddenly aren't going right, um, we 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 had nobody to bring on really, unless you wanted to. You could, I think, maybe you could argue to bring Rico on to solidify it one nil, but in terms of an attack, you can't, you couldn't tweak the side so much that we our level wouldn't drop off apart from maybe the Rico Lewis sub. Mm. So that's been strange compared to other seasons, really. We've always had one or two people we could constantly bring on and that would, wouldn't weaken us in any way and would keep that same level. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tricky one. I, I think I think the defence not being settled is always a big thing, but maybe more so under in a pep side is, is the midfield. I think... The midfield unit is the has been the unit that separated us from all the contenders that we've had over the last you know five years and um, six seven years rather under Pep and even before that really you know our mid our midfield units since the Yaya um, David Silva since those days with that's been you know undoubtedly the best u- midfield unit in the Premier League most seasons uh, has been Manchester City so. I think whilst we're still tinkering with that and we haven't found the right balance of who he really wants to play there, especially with Rodri getting the suspension for three games doesn't help things. And then John Stones being injured doesn't help things. So it some of it, you know, has, has been down to luck, really. But I think he still doesn't know out of the cover and Nunes. I, I still don't think Pep knows ideally how he wants to use them and where they're going to be best suited. I think he has a vision, but I don't know if it's been executed yet. So yeah, I, I agree. think probably the defence in the midfield are, are, are probably the two two ones where because of the because it's always been so solid the last few years, the rotations maybe harming us, and then the front line. Obviously, Haaland is having a you know a great campaign, and you know his levels are so high. I think they've released the, the Premier League Player of the Month candidates, and he's not he's not even in the conversation because scoring all those goals isn't enough anymore. I think for him to be in the conversation, now he has to score about three hat tricks for people to <laughs> know for people to notice him. Um, but yeah, the front line's been changing as well, and um, Haaland's the settled one. But then we don't know who's going to be playing the wings. Is it going to be Foden and Grealish? Is it going to be um, Doku and Foden. It's 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 still Pep doesn't know who he really wants in the strongest the strongest games yet. So it's going to be interesting, especially as the fixtures start to pile up 
in the next uh, in the next month we've got you know one more Champions League match. Uh, we've got the Club World Cup, loads of Premier League matches, and then the FA Cup will start first week in first few weeks in January. So it's going to be an interesting time. And even though there will be a lot of rotation, we need, do need to start bringing some of that cohesiveness into the side. Definitely, and I think the other thing which is really important to note is that generally at this point in the season we're chasing rather than leading we're yeah we we tend to hit our straps in the new year and actually that i think there's a subtle distinction between results and performances insofar as i'm actually okay with the results like i i don't think i think maybe wolves is the only game that i look at and i go yeah, that's not good enough. Like, I'm not going to have that. As a performance, as a collective, individually, just that, that wasn't good enough. But outside of that, I don't really have a I don't really have a, a, a massive problem with the results. I think from a performance point of view, as like you say, I think it has been a little bit inconsistent. Something that something that really jumped out at me after Leipzig, which I think is worth a little bit of a discussion, is uh, Kyle Walker's role in the team. And I should kind of preface this by saying I, I, I love Walker and I think that he's arguably the best left back in the world and i think that there are there are moments and there are games where you absolutely need kyle as as the first name on the team sheet almost but i also think that if you look back at the final third of last season where kyle wasn't playing i think that tactically it was our most stable defensive set up and therefore it made it our most powerful attacking setup and i i i almost i almost look at bayern munich and real madrid those two games as kind of and in particular bayern right where i don't know if you remember but in in the build-up to the to the bayern game uh do you remember ruben diaz got asked that really snide question about like you know how are you going to deal with the pace of uh of sane and nabri and and uh you know and so and it kind of got me thinking because obviously Walker goes off on Tuesday. Uh, Rico reverts to right back, which basically means that he plays that inverted right back role. Ake comes on. And from a stability point of view, it feels as though we just get much more stable. Um, and it, it kind of got me thinking about a little bit my frustration with the right hand side of the attack this season, where Phil coming narrow has basically meant that there hasn't really been an outlet on the right unless Phil really hugs the touchline because Kyle isn't really an attacking fullback in in the way in which we I think you need an attacking fullback on that side if you're going to have somebody cut inside and play narrow so I guess my question is do you sort of do you view Walker's inclusion as something that has potentially disrupted a tactical setup that worked really well at the end back end of last season? Or is that or is that me basically get going a little too far in terms of picking one man out and going, well, that's the reason that we're not as defensively solid? It is an interesting one. I agree with a lot of what you're saying. I think it's strange to me as well with all the the clamor in the summer with you know Kyle Walker um, and the transfers to Bayern Munich and say at one point I think we were all fairly convinced that he, he was he was off, and since yeah. then the club and Pep have obviously worked very hard to keep him, and since the start of the season he's 
he's played pretty much every single game, which even the last few years before that, even when he was still, you know, one of the, the first choice right back, obviously he didn't play every single match like he is doing this year. So I think, I think it de- definitely does make us play in a different way. I think if if we're playing a traditional back four and we've got Rodri, if you if you Rodri and then like last season when we had Gundo who can you know obviously like to get forward but could drop in and solidify um, the centre of the pitch. I think he's always the the person you go to at, at right back. Um, you know, his wingers can't get past him. His his pace can always get the, one of the centre backs out of jail and. Um, and, you know, not necessarily a threat going forward, but his pace going forward drags people out of position, which is a useful tool. But like you say, in this in this new system that we turned to last season in the 3-2-4-1 the or whatever you'd like to call it, him in that system does feel, a, it does make it, it feel a little stunted. And I think you do lose a slight degree of fluidity from it. Um, you do get some pros from it because I think, you know, like having him at the back, you know, he, he is the get out of jail free card with that pace and he can, and his, his physicality and his willingness and his, and his graft is, is, you know, undisputable. But it, I think, I think when we have a kanji on the, say, the right of the three with stones inverted and then Diaz and what well, last season was Aki or the season maybe it'd be Gvardiol. I think there is a certain fluidity to that and like an interchangeability where now if the people get dragged out of position, a kanji can step to where Stones is and Stones can be where a kanji is and all that kind of stuff and the people can move across the back line and, and it's not too much of a problem for them. But I think when you ask Kyle to do that, it's his skill set's not really suited to the to the total football kind of mm. model of slipping in and out of different positions. I think he likes to be in his zone and he is fantastic in his zone. So I do agree. I think, I think there is, you do, you do lose a slight fluidity with him in the system. You do get some things that you don't get from other people, but, and I think like you say, going forward, when we've been tucking Phil kind of into the more kind of center attacking mid role and, and Walker's been pushing out on the right, it kind of, the defenders don't have to worry so much because they know that teams are letting him have the ball. So that's simple. Because they know that you know his crossing is is not is not amazing, and they know he's probably only going to get one on the money one one out of fifty times. So, mm. that, like you say, they'll leave him as the spare one, and the last one to cover down, and then they'll try and they'll try and um, you know strangle our more creative players who are actually a danger on the ball in the final third. Yeah, I mean, I, I sort of. I'm at the point where it so firstly when we talk about Spurs it'll be interesting to see what Pep does but I think in the medium term uh, if I was Guardiola I'd be looking to revert to to the three and the two because I think one of the one of the real the, the kind of general standout has been we do lack the control that we lacked last season now I'm okay with the idea that we're changing the way that we play. And I'm okay with the idea that, well, if you lose Gundo and you lose KDB and you lose Stones and you lose Mares, you're going to lose that control anyway, right? So I'm okay with the idea of, all right, well, we'll, we'll do some things in a slightly different way. But I think that it's important, even if you're 
going to have more ball carriers or you're going to be, you know, we're, we're very focused centrally in terms of having, having central ball carriers and making sure that we have a player, if not multiple players, close to Haaland. Like, all of that, it makes perfect sense to me. But I also feel that if you look at Chelsea, if you look at Leipzig, I think that's the interesting and frustrating thing. Uh, I think that Liverpool... Was its own thing because it feels as though those Liverpool games, those Guardiola club games, both managers pay each other an awful lot of respect, but also both managers plan quite meticulously what they want to do and they become real kind of tactical battles. Um, so it, it did end up sort of being its own thing, but notwithstanding the fact that it ended up being its own thing, I'm not sure that we did enough in attack and I'm not sure. I've always believed that our attack is actually connected to how well the defense plays because the buildup is key, right? And I think that what we did really well against Liverpool was when we played through their first press, the spaces were everywhere. Like if you think about the the number, of, and it's actually quite a, when I went back and watched it again, the thing that really jumps out at me is we might have only done it three or four times in the game where suddenly somebody's picked the ball up in the center of the park and they've got acres of space, right? But the point is that rarely happens against in Liverpool City games. And when it did happen, we didn't exploit it. I, I don't think that from an attacking point of view, I don't think the players were in the right position. I don't, I don't fully think the selection was right. I don't think that, you know, I, I, on the day, I don't think the players were quite up to it. And I do think a little bit of that is the international break thing. Yeah, and I do think sure. a, li a, a little bit of that is almost a kind of mental conservatism because you're playing Liverpool, so you're constantly aware of what the threat that they've got going back the other way. And I think all of that would have been fine if we turn up at Leipzig, uh, turn up against Leipzig on Tuesday, and it's like, all right, we we're consistent now. The backline is consistent. The attack is consistent. Everybody knows what they're doing. And actually, what happens? is Leipzig, they all collapse. Ruben Diaz is awful. Rodri is awful. Kyle is poor. The whole thing, Phil is poor in the first half. The whole thing feels like they don't know, literally like they don't know what they're doing and literally like they almost don't want to be there. And that's a massive red flag for me, if I was yeah, from from a pet point of view, I think he's got to look at the first half against Leipzig a little bit like the first half against Spurs last year in the in the corresponding fixture where he called after the game when we were two 0 down at half time. Oh, yeah. He called them a, a team of happy flowers afterwards. He was like, "I don't recognize my team." That he really laid into him then, and I think that Tuesday should be a little bit of a tipping point. Uh, in the same way that Spurs game was a year ago, because I don't think Ruben Diaz, I don't think that he's a shit player. I don't think that, you know, he's overperformed over the last two years. I think, you know, he's got the yips and Rodri ended up getting the yips on Tuesday night as well. And, and I do wonder whether it is a byproduct of them just not feeling secure, just not feeling as though the setup, whatever it is, it, it, it feels too much like it's walking a tightrope. And 
going back to the three and the two, going back to something that they did so well at the back end of last season, I think would serve us really well. Um, so yeah, I think that when we push forward and we, we begin to talk about Spurs on, on Sunday, we can have a little bit of a chat and look at potentially what Pep could do. Um, a couple of individual things before I chat to you about the January transfer window. Uh, Foden, second half against Leipzig, I think is one of his best uh, performances in a City shirt, to be honest. best One of his best 45s in a City shirt. And and to see him have that sort of impact centrally was was fantastic. Um, how did you... Because I've I actually, I've, I've seen a few people say he wasn't that good. You, you're overrating him. And, and I kind of wanted to ask you, because obviously, like, I think I do carry a little bit of a phone bias. Um, what did you make of his second half performance? Yeah, I agree. I agree. First half, it wasn't it wasn't a, a, an individual thing towards him. It was just everyone was poor. Some people very poor, and he just wasn't getting the ball in any position which he could pose a threat from. So I think he just felt a bit stunted in the first half. But the second half, obviously, when once Pep had put a rocket up all their asses, um, things changed, and I thought he was absolutely brilliant. He was the kept things ticking over in the middle of the park and. I think you need that f- that threat going vertically um, f- up the pitch. Um, I think maybe we've lacked it in moments this this year without um, De Bruyne, obviously through his injury. So I think when we put Pil- Phil in that space and he's and he's running forward and he's spreading the play and he's through balls and he's getting shots off, it it makes the the other teams focus a bit more on him and then also gives a lot more room to the likes of Haaland and the like the the wingers the likes of Doku Alvarez Bernal whoever was playing and I, I thought he's brilliant and it's quite funny I looked at the um, the Champions League goal involvements and you know for all the plaudits Bellingham's getting and rightly so he's got three goals and one assist I think in the Champions League and. Foden's on three goals, two assists. So, mm. but, but no, 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 none of the the media outside of kind of the the city fan media has really been praising Phil in any kind of way this season. It's I found it quite interesting, especially as I've seen, especially the Champions League this season. He's been extraordinary, I think, Foden, and the league matches. I think he's trending in the right direction as well. Maybe not the same levels as he's been in the Champions League, but a very high level still. And I think he's improving week on week on week, which is which I like to see. Yes, absolutely, and I think I feel as though he's having. Uh, I think he's he's having the most consistent sort of spell in the side he's had for a couple of years, basically since he broke into the team. He had, he had yeah. that he had that second half of the season where he, he scored that goal against Dortmund in the Champions League. And I think he might yeah. have scored against Paris as well. And he, you felt that season that he, he kind of, he'd elevated himself into the first team. And then last season was such a big drop off and such a big disappointment from his point of view that it's great to see him showing that consistency now. Um, do you think his best position is centrally or do you think it's on the right? I think it is centrally. I think it is. I think he has all the tools to play in that zone, you mm. know, centrally high up, his close control, playing on the half turn, his passing ability, goal threat. I think he's all there. And I think he's just as effective out, out wide. He's he's quick, but he's not lightning quick. And obviously, I think if you are 
lightning quick. It's you always best served on the wing because of that threat of getting in behind. But um, yeah, I think centrally is the position. I think especially as as he starts to um, get into his you know mid twenties and late twenties, I hope that that's where he's playing more consistently. But I think after that, it's the right hand side, and then after that, the left wing. Even though he broke through in the left wing, I think. Now, I agree. I'd rather see him on the centre and then the right as the as the alternate um, option. I agree, but I do think the one thing I would say um, is that playing on the right, he's actually quietly doing a lot of what Grealish got applauded for last season in terms of being able to give an element of control to the possession rather than just standing his full back up and trying to go around him every time. Uh, but he's doing that plus he's getting goal involvements in the Premier League as well from that right hand side. So I do think that he's he's been very impressive. And I actually uh, quietly I wonder whether Guardiola isn't absolutely delighted with Phil's arc this season in terms of going he he was in and out of the side. Like he wasn't in the team second half of last season. Like people don't really realise this, but you know, he was the first sub but he was the first sub, do you know what I mean? He wasn't in yeah, the 11. Yeah. And so to end in a position or land in a position where because of injuries and whatever, he, he steps into the 11. And for him to have the impact he's having, I feel as though we're seeing him mature week in, week out, which can only bode well for the second half of the season. Um, right. So you ready for a little controversial chat? Let's do it. Why not? Yeah. Eh? Should we... Uh, we rattle some cages i think it's time to rattle some cages it's got to be done it's got to be yeah, done it's got to be done so look I, I had a very um had a pretty interesting uh discussion uh on twitter in the aftermath of the liverpool game about doku and grealish and one of the things that somebody said which i kind of understand but i don't necessarily agree with was well it, it, we shouldn't we shouldn't be comparing them to each other. Yeah, we should just be grateful that we've got both of them. And I, I was a bit like, well, in a way, yeah, but in a way, no. Like they're both basically effectively being pitched play on the left wing right now, so they are competing for the same position. So it's almost impossible not to compare their performances and and their output and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then. Something something else jumped out at me after Leipzig, and that was that in the in the review that that the lads did on the player, Lloyd went in quite hard on Grealish's first half performance, uh, actually harder than than I I would have been, um, because <laughs> that, you, you have to be you have to be cognizant of the fact that Grealish has had some fitness issues this season, um, so he's probably not, or he's obviously not like optimal best version Grealish yeah um, yeah defo but my question is where do you like where do you land on the idea of those two competing for spots and how is Doku doing in terms of I, I, I'm not gonna I think something that I, I think is becoming a little bit patronizing is to talk about Doku 
like a young player, if that makes sense, because in the end, he's competing with a senior England international. And so his age doesn't really come into it. And Guardiola's not going to pick him or not pick him based on his age. He's just going to pick him or not pick him based on his talent, his ability, and the way that he affects games. So right now, where do you stand on that matchup between the two of them? It is an interesting one. I I definitely had that view when Doku came in when we bought him. Almost that kind of un yeah, I underestimated him to a degree, whereas I thought this is a player that looks really exciting when I've seen him play for Belgium, but um but he's gonna be a bit raw and maybe this season won't won't be one where he reaches the heights, but we're gonna see some nice flashes and that was kind of the bar I, I set and I thought Grealish will be the, the starter and Doku will be the understudy and will, you know, get will give Grealish a rest and all that kind of stuff. So that's how I came into the season. And obviously as as the season started with Grealish's injury um, and illness and all these kind of things, and also the fact that Doku has completely, you know, obliterated my expectations of what he was going to deliver this season. It's now we're now at an interesting crux, really, because like you say, we should be grateful that we have them both and it's good because we do need the options. Our squad is small. We need, we need depth. So it doesn't always have to be a case of one or the, or one or the other. And who, who's your favorite, who's your best. But it, like you say, they seem to both be f- only competing for the left wing slot. We've seen Doku play right on the right once for, and then a few moments in games, but not very often. And if you compare in the two, you know, Doku currently is offering this side more and is more of a threat, is is creating um, goals, is scoring, and he is also doing a lot of the the retention work mm. that that Grealish does as well. And the 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 feelings towards Doku is you don't you don't feel it very often in in the ground when a, when a when a city player has the ball out wide i mean like i said earlier our midfield unit at center mid has always kind of been our best players and our strikers and center backs that's where you know all the city legends have kind of been in that in that central column and the wing in terms of wingers getting off your seat that really get you off your seat every time they get the ball there's there's not there's not a really long list you know i look back in it's like Shawnee Wright Rubinho Sane and now Doku all have created, all managed to create this thing in their first few years where every time they get the ball, you're expecting them to do something and contribute in a positive way. And you're not even worried that they're going to lose the ball. You're not necessarily bothered that they're going to lose the ball because you know they probably won't and they're probably going to cause the defender absolute chaos whenever they do. Yeah. Absolutely. I think I, I think the key thing really um, is going to be whether Doku's ability to do all the things that Jack uh, was praised for last season remains consistent. I think the, the key thing, it's almost like a, it's not even a football thing. It's like a footballing intelligence thing. The thing that Grealish had and the thing that he was has and the thing that he was praised for quite heavily last season was... He never lost the ball. And 
actually he was very intelligent in terms of keeping the ball moving recycling the football not necessarily taking risks on the ball um and knowing knowing when to pick his moments and maybe maybe a little bit the kind of critique was he should be a little bit braver when he's on the ball at, at times and i think that doku so far like you said i think the biggest standout because actually, like the dribbling and all that stuff, look, it was obvious that, that that's why they signed him because those were his skills. I think the question was always from a tactical and an intellectual point of view, how are you going to adapt to Guardiola football? Are you going to look a little bit like a fish out of water or are you going to fit like Grealish fits or like Foden fits, like a cog in that machine? And he's fitted like a cog. Um, and I think that the big thing, and I felt this a little bit first half against Leipzig was I think the expectations have gone up for Grealish. I think that if, if anything, this should be the making of Jack and this should take Jack to another level because whereas, and there is an obviously a ridiculous amount of love for Jack Grealish everywhere. Yeah. I think that purely from a footballing point of view, I think the crowd want more now. I think they, they look at Doku and they look at, not just the fact that he can get in behind, but also the fact that he can do all the thing that, things that Jack does as well, or at least 90, 95% of those things he can do. And I think that's raised expectations for Grealish. And I think that even though now, that's why I mean that I, I think Lloyd was maybe a bit hard about Grealish's Tuesday performance, because I don't think it's something that we'll see today or tomorrow. I think it's something we'll see in the last half of this season. I think February, March, I expect to see Jack Grealish's game having gone up at that point by two levels because look at the way that Ortega's presence changed Edison's form and his ability. Just everything about Edison went up levels after Ortega came in. And I think that I, I have the expectation because Grealish is hungry, because he wants to prove himself, because he wants to play in this team. I expect his game to go up a couple of levels in the next two or three months. So I yeah. think in the medium term, I think it's a huge positive having Doku rock up and go, right, this is the level now, Jack. And for it to be a young player, for it to be a player with a with a very different kind of... I, look, I just think that Grealish came in as a fan favourite immediately because of his time at England. He was a transfer that universally everybody I everybody I knew and I spoke to in the City bubble were just like, I want Jack, Jack Grealish. And since he's, since he's been here, you can see that he's a fan favourite. And I think that part of the challenge that Doku had was to turn up and when he started playing instead of Jack to get everybody on side, to get the Etihad behind him, to have that feeling of, well, I'm going to be a fan favourite too. And Doku's done that now. And I think that that's, all of that is just a positive for, for Grealish in the medium term. Because I also, and that's where the young player thing comes in with, with Doku, is that the thing about young players or the, at that sort of age is just, they will have dips in form. There will be a moment in this season where nothing will come off for Doku for four weeks, Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. we'll need Grealish. We'll need all of our players to step up in that moment. So it's not a case of either or for me. And also, like you said, I think there will come a time where we'll see Grealish left and Doku right. And I wanted to see that against Liverpool, to be honest with you. So 
whilst like i don't view it as a like it's not like a head-to-head thing obviously they're playing in the same position right now and i think it's only fair that you judge the performances based on what you see but i don't think that that should ever be conflated with the idea that oh well Grealish is done now because doku's here or you know doku is obviously the better player not neither of those things is true it's just right now doku's playing at a level that Grealish has got to get to yeah, yeah, I, I agree with, with with a lot of that. I think the levels have been raised, and I think it's also partly to do with the fact that we're in a different age now. The team is quite different to last year, and I think a team without Gundo, without Mares, and a team that's got you know De Bruyne injured, there is a much more of a pressure for for yeah. goal involvements to come from from other players because. I think last season, Grealish, because he was playing so well, nobody was bothered about him not getting loads of goals and assists because Haaland was scoring left, right and centre. De Bruyne was scoring all the time. Maris was getting goals. Gundo was getting goals. So they, they were coming from all sorts of places. Whereas now, if the goals are not coming from Haaland, it's like, the, it, and Haaland and Alvarez, it's that where are they coming from? They're not flowing as much, I don't think as they were last season. So I think the fact that Doku's now started to get some goals and that obviously getting four assists in the game, I think that does that raises a bit of expectation from a pure output perspective for Grealish. But I agree. I, I think there comes a time where we need to see them together on the pitch as well. I like I like the idea of Grealish playing inside as well. Mm. Uh, in the Liverpool game, I would have probably, uh, even though I'm probably one of Alvarez's bigger fans, I think, in the, in the fan base... I would have liked to see Alvarez on the bench purely for the op- having an option on the bench for one. And also, I think Grealish in the middle, drawing the fouls, because Liverpool like to be very physical against us, would have been great. And then we he, we have, still have the Doku outlet on the left. And I think that's something I would like to see a lot more of as the season goes on, especially if De Bruyne's injury keeps being an unknown um, return date. Don't say that. Don't say that. He's coming <laughs> back in January. He's said it, so I'm having it now. I know, but I just, I just... I don't know, there's something just feels slightly odd that there's no kind of specificity around it. It's just this, oh, it's next year. Do you know when people say, oh, we'll get round to that next year and then next year comes and you're like, right, what's going on? And then it just doesn't happen. So, I mean, maybe I'm staying slightly pessimistic on that front just to... uh, to protect myself, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm ho- hopefully De Bruyne will be back early doors next year. My, 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 my positive mindset says to me that um, Kev saying early in the new year means that by February, by the by the Champions League knockouts, Kev is back, and I think that you know, I, with a, with a layoff as long as it's been, I think he'll need four six weeks minimum oh, to get yeah. up to speed so i i've got my eye on the champions league knockouts as the moment that that we hopefully get best kev back by that'd um, be nice mm. that'd be nice he, he looks rested though to be fair and all the things he <laughs> looks he looks content he's probably done him well because he has played a silly amount of football definitely the last definitely. few years he looks like benjamin button man he looks younger yeah. <laughs> than he's ever looked in a city shirt uh right f- finally before we um We've got Howard chatting to to a Spurs fan, Theo. But before we go there, um, January transfer window is, well, we're in December now. So it is rapidly approaching. Um, Something that I found really interesting this week, and it's the first time I've really heard it, is you're now getting rivals talking about how small City's squad is and how that is giving them hope and belief that we won't be able to go the distance in the title race. And, you know, 
I kind of think that it's a little bit of a fair comment insofar as the reality is you lose Gundo and Mara as they were key players. There's an unknown over KDB. Stones hopefully will be back. But then more importantly, if you look at Nunes and Kovacic, so far they've had almost no impacts on the team whatsoever. And you look at the bench against Liverpool, you look at the fact that Liverpool can bring Luis Diaz on, bring, um, uh, what's the other lad, the Dutch guy whose name escapes me uh, right Gakpo. now? Gakpo. Gakpo, they can bring Gakpo on. They just had, they had loads of options on their yeah, bench yeah. and we had absolutely nothing. Um, do you think we should do business in January? It's something that we, that we rarely do and... I hadn't been giving it much thought until the last week. I started seeing the uh, Paquitar like um, stories come back a bit, and you know, saying our oh, city will only go in for him if um, if the betting stuff is uh, has been resolved, and and um, then I start to see the the Verts chat again, Vitz rather, um, and all that all that chat. Um, but he's won't be till probably summer if, and you know, there's Bayern Munich in for him now, and a few other clubs, I'm sure, but. I think if we were to sign someone, it I can't see us signing somebody who's gonna come in who who will be coming in expecting to start. I think if we were to sign somebody, it would be a, a, a younger player, more of a project and somebody to have on the bench as an option for the rotation. I just I just don't know if City whilst there's no you know, immediate desperate need for one specific position like there was when we, you know, when we signed Laporte and all that kind of stuff. I, I I can't see us delving into the market in a big way, but I could see us maybe picking up a young player that we, you know, weren't really expecting and then being integrated into the squad and we'll be giving a chance to, mm. to see if they, if they can be at that level. Um, and if they are, then maybe they'll get some game time, but yeah, what about you? Where, where do you stand? And do you think do you think we'll go big, or, or do you think think we won't go at all? No, I think they'll do something. I think they have to. I think I just I feel as though um, you look at. I said last season, right? So the, the squad was small last season, and 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 I said that we were incredibly lucky that we had almost no injuries in the run in. Yeah. Um, but if you look at the volume of injuries that we've seen this season, not just at City, but right across European football, I think it speaks to an overload of games because of the World Cup. I think it speaks to just a general overload of games for players. And I think it speaks to the fact that we were a little bit fortunate with our injury situation last season. Um, and also, just purely from a quality point of view, I, I think that you have to be able to change the game from a bench. Like you cannot be, we just can't be in a position where Guardiola looks at the bench and goes, well, I don't trust any of these lads. So I'm just going to leave the 11 that are on the pitch on the pitch. Um, I think you have to have some options and we yeah. have, we, we have almost none and, and granted, you know, KDB coming back will make some difference because somebody from the 11 will end up on the bench um, but I just feel that 
We need to do one. I, I, I think it would be remiss of the club not to be investigating, bringing a player in that just gives everybody a lift, including Pep, just in terms of going, all right, we've got this one extra lad now who we can call upon, whether it be from the bench or from the start. Um, and in terms of position, I'm not really bothered, to be honest with you. As long as it's not a defender, I'm not really bothered. Go and buy a, a number eight or a, a number 10 or go and buy another winger. Like, just go and buy somebody that can have an impact in the second, and not just in the second half of the season, but buy somebody that manifestly improves the quality of your squad because losing Mares, losing Gundo, and bringing in Kovacic, Nunes, and Doku is it's not even par because of the experience and the quality of Gundo and of um, Mares. It's not even par bringing those three players in. You basically, your squad is worse than it was last season. And that's not a slight on any of those players. It's just a reality. Do you know what I mean? Ilke Gundogan, what, in my opinion, was probably in the top three center midfield players in the world, full stop. You look at Mares, even if he didn't get to play the big games in the second half of last season, if you actually go back and look at the goals and the assists that he got last season, wow. I mean, you know, Doku, if Doku gets anywhere near that this season, it'll be very, very impressive. So yeah, I think we I think we need to do I think we need to do one more. I've got yeah. my fingers crossed that they've uh, that they've seen enough this season to go, yeah, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to do one more because we can't risk an injury. Because like I look at it like this. If one more player goes down with a two month injury, <sighs> what are you doing then? Do you know what I mean? I, I think I think for me, from what you've been saying, I think the wing the winger or a wide forward to me is is the one if I if I could pick one position it would be that because like say say De Bruyne was fit for the Liverpool match and, and um so was so was Grealish um the the bench would probably be Grealish or Grealish or Doku or, and Alvarez on the bench as attacking options like senior options mm. and I think you I think you just need one more as much yep. as I love Oscar Bob and I think he's going to be a terrific player um it, Pep obviously wouldn't want to throw him into a big close match and I think you need another option that you can throw into a big close match yep. that will be able to have an impact probably still go for a younger one if we could just because it's always wiser unless there is a senior person available who is who understands what the score is playing mm. for Guardiola and is willing and wants to be part of that unit and then that would be obviously would be would be a great option but I'm not sure I can think of somebody off the top of my head who that would be. Yeah, I, I'm not. I, I'm not. I'm not getting into the uh, scouting thing until we get a little bit closer to January. Then I'll start doing the market podcast <laughs> and, and we'll start looking at players. Right. We're going to take a little break now while Mr. Hawking chats to Spurs fan Theo uh, to get their view on Sunday's game, and we'll be right back. I'm delighted to be joined by Tottenham fan Theo Delaney, host of the Live Goals pod. Uh, we'll get to that later. And co-host of the Spurs show. So good morning, Theo. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, Howard. Thanks for inviting me on. As a, Yeah, I said, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it when opposition fans take the time out to chat football and uh, love doing it. So uh, should we jump into Spurs then? Because this is... Uh, it's great to talk about other clubs. <laughs> I get bored. <laughs> yeah. I get bored about talking about City for ten hours a week. So uh, yeah, and there's so much to talk about, really, isn't there? So uh, where to start? 
with Spurs. Uh, glorious start, injury crisis, three defeats. <laughs> New manager. Yeah. With all with all that in mind, how are you feeling right now? Well, a bit battered at the moment. Yeah, a bit, bit like uh, we've been assaulted on the way out of a pub after a good <laughs> night sort of yeah. thing. Um, and the funny thing is that, you know, after that, we t- nobody expected. I mean, everyone, everyone got on board with Ange even before the season started yeah. because we just liked everything that we found out about him. I actually wanted him. I thought he'd be a good, a good fit, you know, before they even talked about him. And and he, he and so everyone was really on board with it. But nobody expected us to have a great start. In fact, one of the things that everyone said, including Ange himself, is he never starts well. So right. you need to be patient. He needs to, the players need to have time to bed in, you know, for his new tactics and stuff. Of course, we started incredibly well, and after I think it was ten, eight or ten games with top of the table, unbeaten. And, uh, but what the, but, and that was incredibly exciting, you know, so many exciting games, last minute wins, beating big teams like Man United and Liverpool, getting a really creditable draw at Arsenal and possibly, you know, could have mm. won it. And you're thinking, this is great, but we looked at 11 and it was suddenly a great 11, the best 11 since peak Pochettino, where you looked in every single position, yeah. you thought, wow, this is a top player in every position. And that just seemed to happen so suddenly because last season, uh, you know, you have five or six very weak, you know, positions. So it was incredible. But what we knew about that was that if you get one or two key injuries or suspensions, this could unravel very quickly. And so we go to that Chelsea game, you know, really riding high, playing brilliantly, played great for 20 minutes, only scored one goal, but at, we were blowing them away, you know. And then suddenly everything fell apart. You know, Romero gets sent off, Udogi gets sent off. Uh, Madison goes off with a bad injury. Van der Ven goes off with a bad yeah. injury. And at the end of that game, you think, well, Christ, we thought we, we would struggle if we got one or two bad absentees. We've actually got five at the end of this game. And, and you know, and sure enough, we've lost every game since. But we've been in all those games, mm. very much in them, even Taking despite... the lead, haven't you? In every- yeah, we've taken yeah. the lead in every one of them. And then, uh, you know, on Sunday, the most recent example, we did. it was very much like the Chelsea game where we were absolutely blue Villa away, only scored one goal. There was a break in play for VAR, inevitably. Yeah. And when they resumed play... They'd, I think they'd had a little chat and their hatchet man took out Bentoncourt, who was making his first start of the scene, was running the game. And, uh, you know, in the end, we ended up losing. So it's been a, it's been a high drama all the way along. And, uh, you know, so, and in some ways, we, we, we're quite pleased about that. It was so bloody boring under the last two managers. <laughs> The last two. Uh, does that include caretaker managers? Or no, no. The do last you want two. to name names then? Well, <laughs> Conte, Con- Mourinho, Conte and Mourinho, two of the most boring managers in the world in terms of the football they serve up. But of course, most fans will accept that if you win things. Uh, but they couldn't. Mm. They couldn't deliver either. So we ended up hating them both. Well, let's talk about uh, Ange. I've, I've put hashtag Ange ball here. Anything that has ball on the end should be illegal, to be honest. So I hate that yeah. phrase. Yeah. Uh, a bloke, it's very hard not to like. Let's <laughs> not yeah. that I'm looking for reasons to detest him, but a really likable bloke, but the football as well. So I'm very interested in what something you touched on before. Before he came, were Spurs fans, yeah, when he was linked to when he got the job, were Spurs fans positive there, there and then before he'd even started? Because his CV's not that stellar, but he has had an effect wherever he's been. So what was the feeling about Spurs fans? Yeah, I mean, At obviously, the time I, he was appointed. 
I can't speak for them all. And I think no. some, I think those, those who are there, obviously there's every different level of fan, isn't there? And mm. some, some, some football fans don't spend a lot of time, fair enough, you know, finding out about football or have any great depth of knowledge of football. They only have a quite superficial one. And if, you, if your knowledge of football is relatively superficial, someone says, yeah, your team's just hired an Australian to be the manager who's, who's had success in Scotland and before that Japan. And before that, Australia. Yeah. You know, if you don't know much, you, if that's all you've got to go on and you're not really a student of the game in any sense, you'll probably think how embarrassing, you know, all these yeah. all these other clubs have got all these superstars, Klopp and Guardiola, et cetera. And we've got some Australian who, who won the league in Japan and then in Scotland. So uh, there were, I, I wouldn't say it was, there was universal um, optimism, but I think if you if you just dug a little bit, you'd find that actually everywhere he's gone, he's been successful. And that's to do with a philosophy, which is very attractive. And it's also to do with his personality. People get mm. on board with him. He's fascinating, really, because people end up really loving him. If you talk to the people from uh, uh, Celtic fans, they absolutely loved him. And then you go back to other previous clubs and everybody loved him. But he, he doesn't do it by being all touchy-feely and friendly. You know, Pochettino, who was the last good manager that we all got behind and loved, mm. he was he ended up being like mates with all the players. They'd all go around his house for a barbecue and all that. And they all... they all, But, but Postecoglou doesn't do that. He's actually really distant. Uh, he, he doesn't... He's not mates with any of them, but they still love him and they respect him and they get all, they get behind him. He also, fascinatingly, I think, whenever he gets a new job, he comes on his own. He doesn't bring anyone with him. I mean, that's yeah. almost unheard of. I mean, Conte and Mourinho brought massive team. Conte brought a huge team, you know. He yeah, doesn't bring anyone. I think that's an Italian anyone. thing, I think. Uh, yeah. Roberto yeah. Mancini brought his own, and his own yeah. little guy oh, following him around massive. everywhere as well, yeah. <laughs> But but Postecoglou. So I think he's he's people love him, but he's not not in the way that you would expect. It's not like he's surrounded by loads of people that love him, and then he comes in and he puts his arm around everyone and becomes everyone's friend. Not at all. He's quite enigmatic, and uh, even slightly distant. But at the same time, people really take to him because he's straightforward. He's very clear what he wants to do. He's no bullshit. He's got that. I mean, it's a bit of a, a cliche, a kind of stereotype, but he's got that Australian kind of. Uh, mm. You know, straightforward. He just tells it what he says, what he thinks, and tells it like it is, and and people so, love that. It's refreshing. Now, I kind of know the answer to this because I've watched plenty of you this season. Yeah, <laughs> you're worth watching. But as you touched upon the previous two managers, what are the differences in style and tactically compared to the likes of well, Conte for starters? Yeah, as the most recent. Yeah, I mean, big manager. Well, Conte, uh, you know, he played three at the back with wing backs he yeah. only ever played one way absolutely rigid with that yeah. and he'd won the league with that of course with Chelsea but that was a good few years ago and unfortunately by the time he came to us I think teams had found ways of you know combating his tactics and even at home even against teams that were mid-table or even lower table he'd tend to come out and he'd sit the back five back and he would it was almost as if he wanted to not start attacking until uh, you know, the last quarter of the mm. game or if we conceded, which we very often did. And then he'd let the players off the leash a bit. So it was really, I think, as you know, if you're a big club, most most uh, other, mo most clubs come when you're at home, they come and they try and shut up shot and they don't expect, they expect to be attacked. And uh, that has its frustrations as well. But when your own team at home 
is doing it. He's sitting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is not only is it incredibly boring, it's also strangely sort of humiliating because you just think, well, mm. what are we? We're, we're talking about Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a, this is slightly pathetic. And I think, you know, they, and the tactics I've just described are not that dissimilar to Mourinho's. You understand it. It's a way of winning, or it can be, and they've had success with it. But of course, you know, the obvious thing is it's fine and you would accept it if you did win. If you're top mm. of the league and you're winning trophies, course, yeah. you'll, you'll accept any tactics if you win. Because despite what football fans say, the thing they most want to do is win. win. So if it works, then fine. But of course, as soon as it doesn't work, you turn on the tactics and the entertainment factor because they're the, they're the next, the secondary and the third considerations. Uh, and and then and so you've got no you've got nothing in the bank you've got no credit in the bank mm. if you're a manager playing like that and you're not winning that, and uh and they were hot they weren't very nice people because as soon as they didn't win they were always pointing the fingers always yeah. hanging the players out to drive or i mean always both of them would 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 say basically and conti did it in the most pathetic way in the end they say look i win but this team cannot win but it's not me it's this team and this club Mm. Which is like, for, mate, you are paid millions of pounds every year to take responsibility. That is pathetic. In any job, if you say that, that's pathetic. You know. I mean, don't get me started on Jose Mourinho. <laughs> yeah, we haven't got yeah. the time. So. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's awful. He's awful. I don't know. He's a very split personality. He's a very charming man in certain respects, and yeah. I think in his company, I'd absolutely enjoy it. But yeah, yeah the, way probably. He, the way he acts, you know, on touchline, there's a number of managers have this issue with. But now I, I get what you say about the negativity, but <laughs> but that high line against Chelsea must have taken a couple of years off your life, <laughs> that half hour. Yeah, it, but it certainly wasn't boring. And you no, know, it the certainly wasn't. Is, no, and, uh, you thank know, you from the rest of the country anyway. Yeah. Like, yeah, and and the thing is, we nearly we nearly got something out of it. We mm. could even have won if you remember. There were Chances, late on when it was yeah. still two two. Uh, uh, sorry, uh, I can't, what was the score? It was one, one all, two. It would two, have been past seventy minutes. Right. It was one all. Yeah, and we with nine men, we made we made two mm. or three really good chances against Chelsea. I mean, imagine. If we just if they'd gone in and they could have done that's football that's why we love football because the margins are very are very uh, fine and you know things things pivot on tiny little moments that can go one way or the other we could have scored and we could have even won we certainly could have got a draw and I think if we'd sat back there would have been no prospect of us winning or scoring there would have only been the prospect of us grimly possibly hanging on and so great go for it nearly worked you know yeah. I, I was always, i was in favor and in fact at the end of that game all the tottenham fans applauded the team you know right from mm. and then the applause came from the heart because they understood that and he he says look i'm not going to compromise and the other thing i like about positive he's not doing it for the sake of it and he's not doing it for art's sake he his by his calculation that is the best chance of them winning so that's great uh, i love losing, that yeah losing kane a big loss of course but i guess did saying football this season has helped you forget that. Am I grasping you saying there's an argument that a team as a whole can operate just as well without him because it's not about individuals? Or Yeah, I mean, the team has been better this season than mm. in the last two or three seasons. So in that sense, the, the evidence suggests it can be better. Uh, the other thing... Yeah. Yeah, and the other thing about it is that big, really big superstar players that actually are on a different level from the rest of the team they can be, it's weird. I remember when we had Ginola, I remember when we had Bale, uh, that the whole team 
plays around that player. And mm. I very often used to notice that when the, that player is out, for injury, or, uh, some, the, the team always seemed to function better. And even in the case of Kane, when whenever he used to, the last couple of seasons he hasn't, it hasn't happened, but he used to always at least once a season, usually in the spring, get one injury that would keep him out for six or eight games. And they'd always be the doomsayers. I remember when Guardiola said it was the Harry Kane team. Most people would say, oh, that's them. They're done for now because they've got, they've lost Kane. They'll be, they'll be hopeless. And they, And if you look at the results, they were never... They never dipped because you put Son through the middle usually yeah. and he'd score. I mean, he's a great prolific scorer, as we know. He mm. won the Golden Boots season for us. So uh, so those are the arguments that say, actually, Kane going wasn't, it isn't, a, isn't necessarily a big problem. The, the, uh, the, only, uh, the, the counter argument is this team and the way it plays makes so many chances. And especially when Madison was fit and functioning. You st- the only thing that's been, the, the real problem has been in the last few games is not finishing. I mean, that was a problem on Sunday. That was a problem against Chelsea. But, you know, with Kane, the greatest finisher, you know, in Tottenham's history, yeah. in a team like that, you just think, well, we'd be running away. We'd probably have won every game. That's the way it looks anyway. So, you know, you can argue it both ways. Yeah. The injuries, and now obviously Matty Cash taking out someone like Benton Kerr is pure bad luck uh, but the number of injuries you've got is it all bad luck or do you think there's a need to reassess methods somewhat I don't know it's funny when you when you do get spates of injuries you mm. know questions like that get asked obviously you just think no everyone is everyone's getting I mean you've got more than yeah. most of course but there, yeah. there's been a few articles aren't there that there has been a spate of I mean hamstrings especially this season yeah so. I, there's some stat you know, the athletics full of things like this. And I think there's <laughs> yeah. some stat that most of the top players in the top teams have had, you know, have played more games in the last year because of the World Cup and everything hmm. than, you know, I don't know, ever or I don't know. So some, they're, 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 none of them is so relentless and that, that it takes its toll and that's why they're more injury yeah. prone. So there's something in that. Obviously, teams, clubs like Tottenham and Manchester City and all the other big clubs only have international players. They're, they're, you know, they have 20, 30 international players. So that that's one factor. Uh, another factor, and uh, I don't want to sound paranoid. I am paranoid by nature. So join it one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the... They definitely, the Chelsea game and the Villa game, they, I think that after 20 minutes, both both those teams, the management and both those teams thought, Christ, we're going to get murdered here if we play a game of football. We're going to have to start kicking them and winding them up. Mm. And I think, you know, Madison's been, was kicked and kicked and kicked every game because he was running the game. And then mm. what happens? Bentancourt comes in, starts running the game. He gets kicked out of the game and he's out for two and a half months. So we lose Madison for a couple of months from being kicked. We used Bentinker a couple of months from being kicked. Uh, you can't blame the, the Van der Ven hamstring on that. And you can all, but then you look at Romero who's lost, you know, he's been suspended for these, these last two games. He'll be suspended again on Sunday. He is, he was, <laughs> I mean, there's no question in my mind that Chelsea set out to wind him up and get him sent off. Now he Take, has to take the blame for that of course yeah. i mean he 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 took the bait but again it's um it's the other it's the other it's other teams looking for ways to win that are not to do with football when they get blown away for 20 minutes uh so you know injuries are to do with fatigue everyone suffered that but they're also to do i think uh, and suspensions uh, in yeah. the case of Romero they're to do with what other teams are having to do to combat 
what we were successfully doing. And we're so threadbare now. It's, um, it's just ridiculous. Um, I think we've got well, 10, 10 players out. Hamstrings might be to do with VAR, to be honest. I think you've got five yeah. disallowed goals in one game or something. Yeah. So. yeah. Anyway, let's yeah. talk about Sunday then. Interesting match last season, the 4-2, 2-0, game of two halves, if ever there was one. That's yeah. That set yeah. City off on winning the treble. But of course, you've had plenty of victories over City, especially at home. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean you've I, just I, mentioned the injuries. How how are you feeling going into this game? Confident or not confident? Because you know you can I do think us you'd, damage. You'd, you'd have to be insane to go into this game confident if you're a Tottenham fan. You'd well, have to history. be absolutely yeah. bonkers. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, history in football is a funny thing, isn't it? Because every t- every year it's a different team. Sometimes it's a different manager. Yeah. And one thing's for sure, this will be a very different team with a very different manager with very different tactics. That's it. It's uh, the manager, I think, is more important than the team. See, Pochettino was there, as we saw recently, when he was Chelsea, you know, Chelsea against City. Certain managers give pet problems, perhaps yes. more than the team itself. But Yeah. And funnily enough, Mourinho and, and Conte were able to do it because of their mm. negativity. And what and the thing is, you won't Postacoglu ain't gonna play it like that, even with all those players out. So I think I am absolutely not in any way optimistic. And I think it, uh, you know, anything could happen. Anything could happen. But and, and there's a good chance. Yeah. There's a good yeah, <laughs> there's a good chance we'd get absolutely massively turned over. And again, if we do, I don't think anyone is gonna say Spurs are a crisis club, this is a disaster, the manager's got questions. I think they'll just say, Well, fair enough, ten players out, you're playing the best team in the world. Wow. Uh you know, and you've gone for it, which is great, but you've been absolutely <laughs> smashed to pieces. Well, it's gonna keep but, the high line, isn't it? So who's yeah. that going to favour, do you think? That will give you chat. That that high line, of course, helps you make chances in the same way that City have a high line. Does it yeah, worry you? I mean, or but, do, how do you think yeah. that's going to play out? Because we're not real. Obviously, we can pass the ball, but we're not ones for putting it over the top in a way. I think no, that's true. I mean, you know, I was speaking to City fans this week. It's like we fear Sun, yeah, will be better at that sort of thing. Our high line could be destroyed by balls to him because he's so clinical in front of goal as well. So. That yeah, I mean, he's been a bit, going to be key in a way, isn't it? That absolutely. I mean, I, you know, it's one for the neutrals. That is for sure. Yeah. I mean, because I think there'll be it'll be thrills and spills. And the it's game not that half twelve on a mind. Saturday either. So thank God. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you think about you think about the great games that they've had. You think yeah. about that one where Spurs won three two, and I mean, obviously the ones I remember are the ones where Spurs yeah. emerged triumphant. But the two that remember, that I think of that incredible three two with the late Harry Kane winner a couple of years ago, and all. Also, the epic, uh, you know, Champions League quarterfinal, which was mm. just one of the most extraordinary dramas. Uh, I mean, just incredible. I mean, at the you know the way it swung backwards and forwards. Um, it could be a bit like that, but the tr- the truth is, that Spurs have got so many players out that actually we're the tr- the trouble is that for sheer quality we're just down uh, you know two or three levels I think we have gone with the same team that started at the start of the season this would be a really amazing this would be one for the connoisseurs as it is this will be one for the casual I mean you know people who don't like football should probably tune into this because it's probably going to be I mean we could lose 8-2 you wouldn't be surprised (laughs) of all those players out is the one you think you're going to miss the most on Sunday well that's a really good question 
because at the beginning of the season, I think what we said was, or certainly what I said anyway, was the players we cannot on any account afford to lose. And we lost them all in one game. Are Van der Ven, Romero and Madison, because we simply don't have any yeah. replacements for them at all. We have no direct replacements of anything like comparable quality. And they all went. By the end of the Chelsea game, we'd lost yeah. them all. And they're not back. And Romero comes back next game. But, um, you know, Madison and Van der Ven aren't coming back until what they've, what they've rather vaguely called the new year. It could be any time. So I think those are the, th- I think the central defenders, are a huge miss because what they played, of course, in the last game was two fullbacks, two, if I may say so, fair to middling fullbacks at centre half in Davis and um, Emerson Royale, and of course the playmaker role. Actually, we were we we were looking. It looked like Bentenko, albeit slightly deeper in a slightly different way, was actually, you know, making chances and finding the defence splitting passes. Uh, and actually was doing a fair job of replacing Madison and then we've lost him. So, And he's been uh, your player of the season, is it fair to say, Madison? It's been absolutely absolute I, I think he probably was. I think he probably was, although a band of N would yeah. have run him close, you know. But, but yeah, you'd, you'd probably say Madison because he, I mean, you certainly you really, really noticed his absence once he'd gone, that's for sure. I mean, the Wolves game was a strange one, which was the one before Villa. Where it was just the only game where we actually didn't make many chances at all, and it just seemed like they would get they were adjusting to not having Madison, hmm. because you suddenly realised that Madison was either directly making the chances or creating, you know, the pass before the chance. So and Wolves yeah, just I, a strange team. Sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> you never know what they're going to do. They're another no, team that sub- what they they gives to, City yeah. problems, don't they? Yeah, yeah, they give yeah. some. Right. Yeah. So I, I think it'll be great, but I think we'll yeah. get walloped. It should. Well. Yeah. Well, I'm going to finish because something else I want to talk to you that I touched on in the intro uh, before we go. And time, sadly, again, has defeated us. Uh, I've got about seven questions I didn't get the time to ask, but I always finish with a score prediction. Go with your head or your heart. It's up to you. Well, I think I've already said it. Eight two to City. <laughs> Should I put a quid on on that then? Yeah, imagine if that you're... actually comes in and you've not put money on that. I'll be absolutely devastated. I'll be even more devastated than suffering that humiliation watching it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna. Yeah, it's, it's impossible to call. Absolutely yeah. impossible. I'm gonna yeah. be. I'm, gonna, I'm pretty negative on these things. Maybe it's superstition thing, but I'm gonna go three one city. I think uh, this time. But yeah. when we come to your place, I won't have any optimism whatsoever for that game. As well, if we got the players back, it'd be a great. It'd be a really good game. Don't matter. Even if you didn't have the players back, I'd have no optimism. Yeah, for that. the city had never. They famously never scored at uh, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, have they? They'd mm. never scored a goal there. And Guardiola has lost more times to Tottenham since he came to England than any other club. Which is yeah. these are freakish statistics. I'll, I'll give you the score prediction now. One nil. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Saves yeah. us having to do it for the that's ne- the that's next time. That's done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I just want to finish. Uh, Steve Tudor, uh, uh, gladly. Uh, Thankfully, you got us in touch. And you did uh, got your own podcast, Life Goals. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, I was, yeah. I was dipping into it last night, but uh, 
I wanted to do the night, so I'll be dipping into it more over the, the weekend. Some oh, amazing good. guests on there. Just tell us a, a quick chat about that, about how you set it up and uh, and what it's all about, basically. Yeah, so what it is, it's, it's where well-known football fans relive the defining goals of their lives. So you, so you basically look back over your life and you think, because, of course, as you know, goals are the things that really stay with you because yeah. they're so viscerally affected. You know, you never forget, uh, you know, there's that old Chinese proverb, tell someone something they might remember it make someone feel something they'll never forget it and that's what goals make you feel something so massive you know big goals and both both goals that you score and goals that you concede so they choose guests choose eight goals and we do them in chronological order so it ends up being a little bit of a, a life story as well yeah and they have to choose at least one sickner so that you get the light and the shade. <laughs> and they have to choose at least one that doesn't involve their own team, you know, their own club. So you get a bit of variety in there. And, yeah, I've had, I've done over 200 of them. I've had a load of really real variety of guests. I've had everything from, you know, I've had football writers and broadcasters, but I've also had, like, politicians and uh, novelists and filmmakers and uh, comedians, all sorts of different There's people. No Gallagher been on it Noel Gallagher's done it. He was absolutely brilliant, as you, you won't what, be surprised to hear. Do you remember what he chose? Uh, what was his yeah, sickness? Um, oh, what was his sickness? God, you know what? Off the top of my, I, do you know yeah. what? I probably, I probably got it here somewhere, but he was amazing because yeah. I couldn't believe I got him. I somehow got his phone number from a, from a researcher and they said, I'll pick it up. Yeah, you can send it to me after this show. Yeah. Because you know what it's like? You don't, you don't expect to have that for normally with people of that, you know, type you have to go yeah. you have to go through all layers people, yeah. yeah and you're never going to get there that they, they, they you never get the message but i actually yeah. had his number and I, I messaged him a couple of times and he ignored it as i expected yeah and then one day he, he just got straight back to me he said yeah i fancy this get in touch with ipa wow. and next thing i know i'm in his studio he's got a studio in london huh. which is his, his own studio which is fantastic Packed full of memorabilia, including a life-size car- cardboard cutout of Pep Guardiola. The three of us were... <laughs> oh, yeah, we all have that in our houses, together. you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he was brilliant. And I just basically, me and him sat there for two hours and talked about football and music. I mean, I can't... Can you imagine what a privilege that was? I just couldn't believe yeah. it. And so so it's a really good... Obviously, if you're a City fan, it's the one to start with. But um, away from City, who was the biggest guest for you personally that you felt? Well, he, uh, even, even, um, yeah, I mean, he was still, he was a massive guest, but I've had like Mo Gilligan, who was fantastic. He was an yeah. Arsenal fan. Kelly Cates was great. Uh, and then I've had great, really the, some very good football writers like Jonathan Liu, Jonathan Wilson, Paul Hayward, who was particularly, particularly good. Uh, comedians like Mark Steele was great. I mean, just, oh, yeah. I love Mark just Steele. great. Yeah, do the football I mean, he, journalists tell you who they support. Then, obviously, some do, some thing. don't. Yes, yeah, yeah it's the, really interesting. Keep some the cards do. close to the chest, don't they? Yeah, and some pretend they don't support anyone. And I, they literally, someone say to me, "Well, I do support so and so, but I don't, I don't like to talk about it." So if you mm. can, put, and then I'll put them down as something neutral or something. But some of them, <laughs> have the, they'll actually say, "Oh no, I've never supported anyone." And you think, "Are you joking? You must have I'm done. not." 
yeah, exactly. That's 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 got to be nonsense. And uh, and then one of the other journalists would say, oh yeah, he supports blah 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 blah. Yeah. So it's interesting with that one. Yeah, but they they. I mean, you know, in the age of Twitter and everything, they are. You can understand why they're a little bit parrot because as soon as they say something, especially the broadcasters and the commentators, as soon as they say something, everyone's like, yeah, well, he would say that. He's a bloody, bloody United fan. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. I know. Yeah, that's why. Yes. Right. Well, that's life goals. Into so I can't wait to to dip into that loads of i'm just going through the list last night went wow looking forward yeah. to it so uh, yeah, i hope I, you enjoy it yeah yeah time has really defeated us now theo thank you very much i'd love to uh hook up in the future yeah, yeah. maybe the next time Anytime. we play chat and see where we both are so thank you very very much for taking time out to speak to us my great pleasure thanks for having me yeah and as always after this weekend all the best with the rest of the season cheers mate it's up to you <laughs> uh, right that's a wrap we'll go back to the panel now as we preview Sunday's big game right we're back that was Howard chatting to Theo so yeah George our kryptonite on Sunday Spurs <laughs> oh god at least it's not at the bloody Tottenham Hotspur Stadium or whatever it's called these days down there at least it's at home it gives me a glimmer of hope (laughs) definitely well look I think the the place I want to start is their their injury list so so when I when I when I read it out when I read it I was like I'm gonna have to write this down it's that long so Perisic Benson Core Van der Ven Madison Sessignon Richarlison Romero Bissouma and Papa Sarr are all either injured or suspended for the game on Sunday. That's a hell of a list, isn't it? That is rough. <laughs> that is rough. I mean, and and it's not just a long list. It's a list filled with, I think, from that list, if everyone's fit, it, you know, Benson Core's probably starting for Spurs, Van de Ven, Madison, um, Romero, Bissouma, they're all starting, and then per- you know Perisic. One of Perisic on. or Richarlison are definitely starting. Richarlison, Papasar's been, I think, a, a really great player. So, yeah, that is such a, a dagger to Spurs, and mm. you know the start of the season they've had. It's it's not it's not just um, having your wings clipped. It's having your wings ripped off of that. It really. It's um, it, I, if that was City, I, I would be feeling very very dour about uh, the coming the coming few games definitely and i think i i, I actually it, it leads me nicely into my next question right so spurs have lost three on the bounce and i've seen a lot of criticism of 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 uh Ange, and it's kind of bothered me to be honest with you i, I feel as though I, I don't know if it's just like a media thing or i've got like uh, this week in particular i just i've got no respect for the english media or what it is but i just feel like they they they're just working narratives and it's like you know they've decided that Postacoglu is a nice guy but he's not good enough he's like he's naive i've seen so many people say oh he's naive like he, he doesn't really know what he's doing you can't play football like that and i'm just reminded of guardiola's first season and dickheads like stan collymore going <laughs> you know if pep thinks that he can turn up and play like this it's just not going to happen and it's like you watch you never learn your lesson um so what do you think of the job he's done so far like are you are you impressed with spurs are you, are you did you think he'd have this big an impact 
I'm I'm massively impressed uh, with what he's done so far. I was a fan of his before, um, um, from the job he did at Celtic. You know the way they played. Um, Rangers during his time there really couldn't get a glove on on them, uh, especially in the old firm matches. And that's one of the biggest tests I think up up there. You know. If you can win the old firm matches, you you pretty much win the league. If you win the majority of them, and he was doing that at a canter, really, and he plays nice, attractive, positive football, and the life he's breathed, he, he's breathed into this Tottenham side is it's kind of unimaginable, unimaginable um, from where they were um, a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, with the the very rigid, unexpressive. Five at the back will try and hit them on the counter attack if we get the opportunity football that they've been playing for so long. This free-flowing stuff, I think he's got the fan base engaged straight away. There's a real positive atmosphere about the place. And even losing three on the bounce, I think, you know, he's been they've been sloppy in little moments and maybe they've you know they've they've tried to play their way incredibly high line. Um and that's come back to bite them, especially when they were doing it when they were nine players versus Chelsea's eleven. Um, that that felt a little mad to me, but I do admire that that's the way he wants to play. And in the other matches, I think he's got to he's got to play the way he wants to, because um, that's what he, his core belief in football is, and he's very serious about it. So I don't want to see him retreat into playing, you know, Allardyce ball or something like that, just to just to try and. Uh, Get a, drag a point out of Chelsea. I kind of did admire it, and I think they are very lucky to have him. And also, I think it's nice for the Spurs as a fan base to have a manager there who doesn't think he's above the club in any way. And you know, the Conte, Conte's and Mourinho's of this world felt like they were doing almost charity work, going and managing Spurs. <laughs> it's true. Like, like it was like they get two days annual leave to do charity work each year, like some jobs give you. That's kind of the, that's kind of the vibe that they were giving off. And it was like, and so I think now they've got a manager. Looks like he wants to be there. Looks like he really wants to prove himself in this league. And. And that's a that's a big thing, I think, for a manager wanting to prove yourself in a league because Conte and Mourinho, you know, both both won the league in, mm. in, with Chelsea. They they don't really have loads to prove. Everybody knew what they were about, no, knew knew how they were going to play, and knew what they were. Whereas he is put, stamping his his identity on Spurs, and I think he'll see it as a big project. And I think they should keep going with how they're doing. And I think they should especially keep playing high line against us on Sunday. Um, <laughs> well said. I, because even though I do admire it, I think there are slight flaws to it. Whilst you don't have the personnel that you want to do, I think it works well when you have the personnel like Van der Ven and Romero at the back. But when you've got Emerson Royale at centre back, I think it, it becomes very tricky. Yeah, but I, I gotta say that, you know, I wrote in the notes that like our own defensive inconsistency suggests yeah. that for the neutrals is gonna be a lot of fun on Oh Sunday. yeah. On 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 paper this with the with this should be, you know, a five three, five four, <laughs> you know, some something mad like that, really. Yeah, and now I've said that it's gonna be nil nil or one nil or something. No, but um No, I'm not but yeah. That. It should be a goal fest, really. Well, well, I hope it's a goal fest on our side, not necessarily on on theirs. But mm. yeah, it would be. I think it'd be an entertaining one for sure because it's two teams who are going to be very, very front footed. Definitely. Um, I think it's quite interesting that we we land in a place where it's very different. Like Guardiola's got selection headaches right across the pitch. In in my very humble opinion, um, 
what do you think? So, for example, right? Obviously, Ruben Diaz gets substituted at halftime. He was poor against Chelsea before the international break. He was great against Liverpool. Um, would you pick him? Oof. I, usually, I'd go yes, 100% would be my answer to is Ruben. Do you want Ruben Diaz to start? Um, that, but that first half against Leipzig um, was rough. Was very very rough, and he it's was the funniest. Doing... It's the funniest, it, honestly. Like yeah. it was so bad that I genuinely like the Akamji goal was bad, right? And and I was I was sort of angry, and then when Ruben did it, I was just wetting myself at Guardiola's reaction because it was like the angle was perfect to see Diaz do what he does, and then like literally a, a second and a half later, the lad is like. 10 yards away from him and Diaz is sort of stood there going what's happened and Guardiola's got his head in his hands honestly I was wetting myself laughing yeah it was it's just one of those ones I was just shaking my head like I was looking at it it's like you're on the halfway line you've got nobody behind you and you're up against their quickest player why the hell did you dive in with everything (laughs) you've got but that that's that's Diaz's weakness he doesn't have many as a defender but him sometimes being overly physical mm. does get himself into a lot of trouble and he's given away a few pennies here and there and all that kind of stuff. And whilst the te- when the team, I think when the team is cohesive and when the team is, is playing very well and positively, I think his physicalness is, is great because he doesn't overcommit. He, kn- he knows where the line is, but I think when we're maybe playing poorly or chasing a game, I think his, his way of trying to stamp authority on the match is being overly physical and too yeah. much and then he starts doing these mad rash things like he did against Appender and just hand, gift wraps them a goal so I think I think I think I would like him to start because I just just I wouldn't like to put that in his head that you know this early in the season but but then again there there has always been instances where Diaz has been out the side in the last few years. When it's been for, it's always been like a five, six game period. By the time it's the running, he's always back in the side, mm. always. But there has been moments where he does drop out of favour with Pep for four, five, six weeks, and Pep wants more ball players at the back. But then, as as we get into the crunch time, you need his leadership, you need his physicality, you need all those amazing qualities he has. So I think if there was a time of the season for him not to play, it would be probably coming up. Um, but I, I would like to see him start. I, I think I'd like to give him the opportunity to really wipe the slate clean from Leipzig and Definitely. get back into a get back into a groove. I think he will. I think he will start. Um, obviously, Stones was back on the bench against Liverpool, but wasn't really fit. Like Guardiola said, that you know he was almost there symbolically rather than actually being fit enough. Now he didn't get on the pitch against Leipzig. I have a sneaky suspicion that John Stone starts on Sunday. Oh wow! Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think we're going to see uh, in the press conference this afternoon. Guardiola say Stones is available for selection on Sunday. Um, I think they've almost wrapped because of the nature of the injury. I think they've a little bit wrapped him in cotton wool and are really being super cautious, which is why he doesn't get near it on, uh, on Tuesday. But I think he, I think he starts on Sunday. And I think that that will give Diaz, like, I, I think Stones is the best partner for Diaz, just to put it bluntly. 
And I think it yeah. allows Pep to move a Kanji to the right. Like, w honestly, from from a defense point of view on Sunday, I want to see Ake at left back. I want to see Stones and Diaz uh, in the middle, and I want to see a Kanji at right back stepping into to basically becoming a uh, becoming a back three of a Kanji, Diaz, and, and Ake when uh, when Stones steps into midfield. Yeah, I think I think I would obviously I'd love Stones to play. I think you know we're always better team with him in the side. I just I don't know my, my view with his injuries. Think if it's that serious. I've, would they drop him in a big game from the start? I would think maybe if if we're on top in the game, I can see him maybe coming on to get get the groove. But I think I think if he, but then again we've got Villa, we've got another big game in the week, don't we, Villa? This so if you are going to start him, maybe it's a good idea rather than against the pace of Watkins and that. With a, if you've got an injury, you don't really want to be the stop start of playing against somebody with that amount of pace. No, but, I think um, an. I think an hour on Sunday uh, would be the ideal, ideal that yeah, get, yeah. get him out there, get his legs warmed up, give him an hour. I would probably not play him against Villa. I would probably take the point of view the only plays one of Villa or Spurs and he gets an hour in that game and then he gets a rest in the other one and kind of slowly bring him back that way because obviously we've got a lot of fixtures coming up and we got the, what is it, the Club World Cup or whatever that thing's called as well. Yeah. So, you know, there's no need to, to risk it or rush it. But I do think that with the inconsistency of the team, I can absolutely envisage a situation where that back line that I've just, I've just stated they end up being the back line. Um, I think Kovacic is back in training as well. And again, don't think he got near it on uh, on Tuesday. Uh, looking at the midfield, how do you how do you fall on? So actually, the the real question, in my opinion, is a little bit of a Julian Alvarez question. In so far as I know how impactful he has been this season. And I don't dispute that, but I think it's pretty unarguable that our lack of control has been because we play Julian Alvarez instead of a midfielder. And even if he comes deep, he's just not a midfielder. He, he'll, ne he'll never be Kevin De Bruyne and he'll never even really be Phil Foden. He's not a midfielder. He's an attacker. Uh, he's a, he's a number 10 or a number nine at best. Um, so, how do you do you do you put a team together where Alvarez definitely starts? So effectively, it's Rodri plus one other fella, and then you've got the front four of Alvarez and whoever the other three are. It is tricky with Alvarez. Like I said earlier, I'm one of probably his bigger fans at compared to maybe some of the other fan base. But I think when I do look back, kind of, you know, objectively at, at the Liverpool match, for instance, I think if if we've got Kev in the side that match then I think we win mm. um, that's not to say he didn't play well Alvarez I just think we win um, with with that kind of different profile in the in the centre of the pitch but I think on, on Sunday in terms, of, in terms of the control and everything I I also would like maybe him to have a rest this match just to give us an option off the bench if it's not all ticking as well I think it won't, I think when you play Alvarez and Haaland, and especially whilst we've got a few injuries, it's like you're putting all playing all your cards straight away, yeah. and you've got nothing to fall back on if the plan isn't working so much. So, I think I would like to see maybe I want to see Foden in the middle. I'd like to see maybe I think maybe a midfield of 
I'd like to see a midfield of Rodri, Rico, Foden with Bernardo on the right. I know it's slightly, maybe not how we've, we've not played that much in a, in a mm. big game before, but that's kind of the balance I would I would like to see. Um, Rico gives us a bit more defensive solidity, but he also can move the ball up the pitch well. Um, Foden causing Spurs problems if they're pressing and being overly physical, spinning off them on the half turn. And then Bernardo for just that bit of control to stop their wing-back threat of uh, Adogi as well, who I think is um, a very, very, very good player. And I think he likes to bomb up and down. And I think if you have somebody like Bernardo on him, Bernardo will follow him all day and also pose him some problems going forward as well. Yeah, yeah, spot on. I mean, I, I think the way I look at it is I'd like to see Grealish and, and Doku on the wings, right? Uh, and I'd like to see us play more of a pure 4-3-3 where we play Rodri, um, Bernardo and Phil as a midfield three and we play Doku, Grealish and Haaland as a front three because I think that what, what, what I would like to see is I'd like to see... Um, Bernardo, I think Bernardo links up really well with Grealish. I think he links up really well with whoever ends up playing on that left-hand side when when Bernardo plays in the left-hand half space. So I'd love to see Bernie play in that left-hand half space with Grealish. And then on the right, I'd love to see Foden and Doku. Because look, Phil is probably one of the few lads who can find a pass through a gap that Doku can run onto all day long. And I think that having him sort of floating between the right and half space and a little bit number 10 things to try and be close to Haaland. Um, I'd really like to see that. And it's no, and for me, it's not really any slight on, on Alvarez. I just think he's played an awful lot of football since the world cup last year. And I think against Liverpool, he looked massively jaded and obviously he has a big impact when he comes off the bench on Tuesday. But I also feel what you said is spot on. You need somebody who can make an impact off the bench. Like we can't, if you throw all the lads in at once, Who's making an impact off the bench? And I I mean this with the best will in the world. That's not Jack Grealish's game. His game is absolutely not. Shit, we need a goal. There's 20 minutes to go. Bring Jack Grealish on. That ain't it. Grealish, you bring off the bench. If you're winning 3-0 and you want to shut a game down. So Yeah, I, I, it's interesting though on the Grealish front that I do agree in part with that, um, that for City, he doesn't do that. But... When, whenever he's been playing for England, that's that his role is to come off the bench and cause problems and impact because maybe tactically he's not asked as much of by Southgate as he is Pep. And it's interesting to me that in an England shirt, Grealish never really starts big matches, but he more often than not will come on if we need a goal or need to change it up and they want to give the defender a, a different kind of problem. But yeah, in a City shirt, he never seems to come on and take anybody on or cause a problem. He's always coming on to to control the match, to keep things ticking, keep the tempo, retain possession. And it's, yeah, I've always found that a bit of a, you know, it's a bit, I'm a bit at odds with it really. I don't mm. understand why it's I the just, case, but I, it, it is. For me, I, I just think it's it's the difference between international and, 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 and Premier League football. I just, I, I don't think that, I just don't think that Grealish is, is a, is a, an impact sub at all. I think that his, he, he almost grows into games. The longer he's in a game, the better he gets. Um, and so in terms of having, I'd rather, if we have to pick one of the two 
from the bench, then I'd rather have Doku from the bench than Grealish because yeah, you saw yeah, what Doku did when he came on uh, in midweek. Um, so yeah, that's the that's the sort of team that that I'd be picking on on Sunday. You're looking forward to it. I am, you know, I am. I think it's me too. It's, it's um, been a big week, really. You know, Liverpool, Leipzig, and now this. And I think, and well, it's going to continue with Villa. It feels like. After the international break, it's been, you know, it's going to be 130 miles an hour. And yeah, I'm up for that though. I, I quite like it when the, the, the games are this constant. I think it, it suits us more. As long as, you know, you can rotate well and avoid the injuries. I think the Guardiola teams are suited to it because we're so used to doing it. Yeah. Whereas I think other teams maybe fall off because they just get exhausted or they're just mentally exhausted from the sheer volume of games and big games that you've got to play. But I think if we, if we, if we can win on Sunday, I think it really will set a marker down for how we're going to approach the festive period and we'll, we'll make sure that we go into it by picking up a lot of points along the way. Definitely. Right. Give me a score prediction that I'm out of here. Oof. I'm going to go. I'm going to go goal fest. I am. I'm going to go 4-2 City. Go on, lad. So I'm going to go 3-1 City, Haaland hat-trick, and Oof. I'm gonna put my I'm gonna put my FPL money where my mouth is, and I'm gonna triple Captain Harland, which is a wow. mad shout home against Spurs. Wow. But I just think with their backline being all fullbacks, I've just I've got a sneaky that that Erling has a very special Erling afternoon yeah. or early evening on Sunday. So I like I like that. It's a, it's an aggressive move, and what, <laughs> one I like to, it's one I like to see. I think if, <laughs> it, pull, if it if it comes off, you know, you'll be straight up to the top of the table because I can't see many other people doing that this week. But um, now nah, I like it. Putting your money where your mouth is. I like I'm going it. there. I'm going there. Right, George. Thank you very much. Cheers, Asan. Have a great weekend to everybody who listened. Thank you very much. This was the Friday show on the Night Three Twenty Player. If you remember the, uh, on the 9320 podcast, if you're a member of the 9320 player, there'll be loads more podcasts coming uh, over the weekend and next week. In the meantime, be safe, be well, and as always, up the treble winning blues.